0: Welcome to the 4th episode of the Product Weekend Podcast Season 2, powered by Productize. This is where we meet the inspiring people behind great products. My name is Romoita and today we have with us Mathilde Leo, Head of Community at Circle. Mathilde has an innate instinct to break rules and connect people. She has combined her passion for technology and people to build a successful career around community building and product. Besides being a Head of Community. Mathilde is also a product person, an entrepreneur, and a martial arts enthusiast. In this conversation, we talked about her path towards product and tech, about the creation of Jam, a community for product people, about online communities in general, and about her role at Circle. By the end of the episode, you have books, travel, and podcast recommendations from her. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Thinking all the way back to your childhood, what was the first community that you felt part of?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think it was probably when I was training karate. So I Mm love martial arts and I started at a young age. I was five and just going two or three times a week and, um, you know, it teaches you so much about, like, respect and rules and I yeah. had an issue with rules, I guess, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was really great to just be able to develop relationships, friendships with uh, kids of different, different mm-hmm. ages. So, and to this day, I think Thai boxing, which I train a lot, um, Muay thai? thai, exactly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I say Thai boxing for people who don't know what Muay Thai is. What is this yeah. thing? Um, it is also the way that I feel a sense of community here in Lisbon. Um, cool. I train still, so yeah. yeah.
0: Amazing. And- as a, a kid, you're saying that you had some some troubles with rules. How did you see yourself <laughs> as a kid?
1: Uh, I think when you're a kid, you don't necessarily think about yourself that much, which is a good thing
0: <laughs> but uh, looking back
1: looking back, I think I was a very very active kid, just like always doing something new, loving mm-hmm. like sports, languages, uh, moving a lot, always starting new projects like. You know, I remember in my neighborhood I was hosting uh, like competitions, like where <laughs> you know we had some sort of like running and exercises to do. There were prizes to win and that sort of thing. So I was very entrepreneurial as a as right. a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That tendency to break rules—it's also a common trait among entrepreneurs.
1: Right? Yeah, I mean, you have no idea. Like for example, I think age six i escaped out of school like there was a little like gate and i actually just was like let me go and explore it's (laughs) a small village in the french alps it's not like a crazy city but still i just like left school and just you know walked around before coming (laughs) back to school like nothing happened so cool
0: and what were your ambitions as a kid maybe more as a teenager did you already have what were your thoughts about your future career life Mm.
1: yeah so as a teenager i started really becoming interested in tech actually as a kid when i was 11 Mm. or 12 i fell into like computers like many of us like starting coding a bit teaching myself html css creating blogs and Mm -hmm. so i think even if then i ended up studying something different like social science economics i always had this passion for tech and computers and the internet you know like just like using right. the family PC to to build websites, to mm-hmm. participate in to online explore. forums, right? It's just like cool. going full circle. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think I just always had this feeling that I would do... Actually, no, I didn't have a feeling I would do something in tech, but I was so passionate about building things mm-hmm. and building products and...
0: Cool. Yeah. That product mindset was already there.
1: Mm. Yeah, thinking back, it's funny, right? But uh, yeah. at the time, I was just like, no I, was, I would spend hours just uh, coding and doing right. my weird little things. My, my parents had no idea. They were like, what are you doing on the computer? Like, you know, the old PC. Like, like, for I'm breaking
0: hours. rules. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm breaking See. loads of bad code, like, loads of like, tables like, to, to align content at the time. There was no like CSS or whatever, actually. Yeah. way Way back, I'm getting old.
0: Mm. Uh, and you were saying that you then studied something completely different so you did a bachelor in liberal studies right Mm -hmm. what was the motivation behind that choice
1: yeah so actually I so I studied at a a university called Sciences Po in Paris which is Mm -hmm. um a really great school and so that was an ambition I had from I guess middle school I just wanted to be part of that experience because it's like it opens lots of doors you you, Mm -hmm. all the French you know politicians or presidents went to that school not that I like it now but at the time i was like this is you know the school that you go to if you know you want to really have doors open to you and so i prepared because it's like a pretty hard exam to get in and so i started preparing for that exam and um yeah so i just wanted i i was a very curious kid and and i still am a very curious person so i didn't want to close door for myself so i was like you know into philosophy like economics um Mm-hmm. Science. I mean, you don't do mu- a lot of science, but you do some some economics and so on. So I just wanted to be mm-hmm. to have a bit of a well-rounded education, yeah. and so that was the right choice for me uh, at the time.
0: Cool. And you, I, I think, when you were there, you did a small internship as a journalist, right? If your LinkedIn is not lying. <laughs> yeah, that was what before. Was that actually, like? I was 15 I years was old. Before.
1: That was my first yeah. work experience. Uh, it was uh, when you were in college in France, not college, but like more mm-hmm. uh, before high school. You do. What oh, was I in high school? Oh my God, I'm getting old. <laughs> um, you do like an internship uh, for during the summer okay, and you okay. kind of create a report. And I was lucky enough to, basically, I just kind of harassed my local newspaper, Le Dauphiné <laughs> Libéré. Like it's actually a pretty well newspaper in, in the French Alps and the whole region over there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, they said yes. And I was finding myself at 15 going like on the ground, interviewing people, like going to like hospitals because about this this big project in this hospital and just like writing about it and I was just 15 or turning Mm -hmm. 16 and so yeah I forgot about this experience until today
0: (laughs) (laughs) so that was like uh already the passion that you had to like talk to people also write was something that Mm -hmm. was present back then
1: yeah I think just more I think I was very curious about the world around me and just discovering Mm -hmm. what was happening and um yeah and talking to people was always I guess Something that I was doing naturally. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and then after after the, your studies at Science Science Po, Science Po,
1: yeah. Science Po. Mm-hmm. Then I went to London,
0: <laughs> right? And you were studying more entrepreneurship and also start having some entrepreneurial experiences. How so n- not
1: necessarily because Science mm-hmm. Po at the time actually I was a bit resenting like. Oh, we're learning very theoretical stuff. I want to do more entrepreneurial stuff. But Mm -hmm. in hindsight, I think that was perfect to do that later on because the studies that I did helped me have really good general knowledge that it's difficult to get later in life. I did, however, got involved with um, a social entrepreneurship association. So at the time Hmm. I was really into like the new movement of social entrepreneurship and, you know, like entrepreneurs doing like investing in enterprises and tech for good and so I did have Mm -hmm. a class at Sciences Po about that and then did a few internships in that field so at the time I think age 18 or 19 I I really thought I would be more in this field of 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 social enterprises social entrepreneurship social impacts um Mm -hmm. and then then got into tech eventually but
0: uh you you started Cohoop what was that all about
1: That was my first experience really building a product and my first um, experience dabbling into (laughs) how do you create something, how do you... So that was um, an experiment at the time. So I studied in the US as well for a year as part Mm -hmm. of my studies. And I realized that finally we were able to use computers and Macs and PCs or whatever, like uh, laptops in class. And I was Mm -hmm. like, everybody's taking their own notes on their own. So, yeah, I started this experiment. Like, just let's all take notes on Google Docs. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of productized this a little bit. Um, right. I took this project over to then the LSE. I won a startup competition. LSE, the, so in London, where mm-hmm. I did my master's. Um, and, yes, that was my first experience just building something, experimenting. At the time, I thought it was a startup. It was not a startup. It was just, <laughs> like, a, a crappy MVP. But, uh, right. but that was my first experience mm. building
0: something. So then you... I guess more or less at that time, you're realizing that you wanted to go a bit deeper into this road of entrepreneurship. That's why you did a, a master's in management? Or it was not related?
1: Kind of. Actually, I really wanted to be in London. So just hmm. to rewind a little bit, I studied in Paris as part of my studies in Paris. I was lucky enough, like everyone in their third year, to be able to pick any university in the world to go study there for a year. And I hmm. picked UPenn, which is actually one of the least... Uh, known Ivy League schools like it's mm-hmm. like Harvard and whatever but it's it's the social Ivy they call it anyways yeah. um, so I went to UPenn for a year and this is where I really got into just like tech like I was able to take like MBA classes and that was just, crazy stuff like at the Wharton Business School mm-hmm. and so over there I was like wait a second like I don't want to go back to Paris and study more like just the, the very like old way like social science mm-hmm. and stuff I want to I want to be at the core of, yeah, of the tech world. And so for, Lo- for Europe, that meant London. Yeah. And so I just applied to LSE on a whim. I was like, there's no other school. I was like,
0: <laughs> whatever, management, <laughs> that, that sounds
1: okay. And right. then I, I got into LSE. And so I guess what drew me to, uh, to London was not this master's in particular. It was interesting, but it was being, being part of the London tech scene.
0: Right. Cool. So let's get to your professional experience. Um, you ended up as product marketing manager. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, I guess it was just like we were looking for a role, a title at the time. Hmm. (coughs) Excuse me.
0: Was it already the title at the time?
1: So I was part of an incubator in London Mm -hmm. working on Kohoop and working on on finding a co-founder and and so on, entrepreneur first, really cool incubator to this Mm -hmm. day. Um, And... Then I joined AdBrain, an ad tech startup that was actually part of the first cohort because they were looking for someone a bit of a Swiss Army knife to do a bit of everything. Work closely with the CEO on building like the product, finding product market fit. And so Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean the the role was product marketing manager, but like we had nothing to really market. It was just like basically CEO's right hand. Like this this was my first like experience in as a product manager, and then I became the first the company's first product manager. Mm -hmm. But At the time, I was more than
0: product marketing manager. It was you doing a little bit of product, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of of everything. (laughs) Like talking
1: to partners, going to like investor meetings, like just doing a
0: just
1: just really shadowing the CEO. And that was my first experience, my first real work experience, Mm -hmm. and I learned so much from it. Mm
0: -hmm. But then you you jumped to product owner, and that was like proper product ownership there.
1: Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Then I I was presented the. The choice of becoming the first PM there, because then they were then mm-hmm. when the company became a bit more successful, we were building the product team, and so instead of hiring someone from outside, the yeah. CEO told me you want to be the first PM, and then eventually we hired a VP product because you know at tech is such a crazy world, like we needed somebody who, yeah, was super experienced in yeah, the field, and so sure. uh, I became my boss, and then we built kind of like the team together, and.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that intentional. Like, did you already have a? good perception of what product management, product ownership was or it was like, no. At they the time. need me to do this thing, <laughs> I will try my best.
1: Exactly, I think like mm-hmm. many people who get into product, maybe these days it changes with great mm-hmm. uh, companies and communities like product ties right, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know a bit more product management it's a field it's a path but at the time I really discovered what it was by doing it yeah. and then I was like wait a second that's a job that's pretty cool mm-hmm. I get to work with engineers designers like do yeah. user interviews figure out what we're going to build that's super cool I want to do that
0: <laughs> yeah that's actually what what happened to me personally mm-hmm. that I had no clue what it was about and just land a bit by accident mm-hmm. uh, yeah I mean guess today they're like the associate product manager path they're more a bit more intentional but most people that I've talked to end up as product managers a bit by accident. That's right. right. So do you have any advice for someone that today wants to break into product?
1: Mm-hmm. I think my my best or my top advice would be to, to try and build something yourself. Um, just pick an area you're interested in, like a problem you want to solve, mm-hmm. and just try to build something yourself because that's going to teach you a lot about like, the process, like the the, mm-hmm. the discovery process, like what is it that you want to actually create? How do you go about it? It's like, what tools do you pick? And there's so many tools also out there. Like you don't suddenly need to know how to code to create like an MVP, a minimal viable product or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think just like finding, finding the right role is important. But at the same time, I think if I think back at my own experience, I feel like whenever you... Are presented with a decision. It might become a bit meta here. I'm sorry, but this (laughs) is what comes to mind. When you're presented with a decision early on in your career, you think that whatever you decide is going to be like irreversible. Like, oh my God, like if I go into this path, that's it. But Mm -hmm. actually, you're not at a crossroads. It's like the the world, like your career is more like a village where there's Mm -hmm. all the paths interconnect and you can go one path and then, okay, like I tried marketing for a bit. That taught me a lot of things. Great. Now maybe I will. try this product thing and so don't overthink your career decisions and and don't think like whatever you pick today is gonna like have a it it will have an impact Mm -hmm. but not as much of a of of an impact as you think you can always change tweak so experiment with your career that would be my advice yeah
0: yeah there's actually a super visual thing that i think represents that very well you know wait but why Mm -hmm. yeah i love it (laughs) that (laughs) one that is exactly that is like a lot of a maze of career choices and you think okay i have made this choice and i have no way of going back to the other mm-hmm. but actually that point opens up the whole new exactly new i love I, I love
1: his blog actually i don't re- remember i don't think i've read this particular article but i mm-hmm. love like everything he writes and like helps you think about life in so many different ways <laughs> yeah
0: yeah um yeah then after that experience in that company you had a short but super intensive experience at Deliveroo Mm -hmm. right it was a very hyper growth (laughs) stage yeah how was that your what was your role there and what was how was that experience yeah
1: so after a couple of years or two and a half years I think at Brain I just was ready for a change and Deliveroo at the time was just not just starting I think it was post series b Mm -hmm. like Growing like crazy. And so my role was um, product manager focused on international expansion. So, like, my team was focused on localizing the app, payments, language, and everything for international markets. So at the mm-hmm. time we launched, I think in six months, we launched in just so many different markets, like, right. everywhere in Europe, some places in Asia. um It was great. It was like crazy. Like at the time, like we had just they had just changed offices, but already after a couple of months, the office was too small. Like in in London, in London, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, in the center of London. Like um, we have so many stories, but like the CEO Will Schut, this amazing guy, like super approachable. Like he would order every Friday to really dog food. You know, that's the best way to say for delivery. Like to really Mm -hmm. test the product, he would order. It would actually order, like, an, uh, many orders, like, after the rush of the lunch uh, time, uh, food for the entire company and then and, and then give, like, credit to people to also buy their own stuff. And so I had never seen, like, just imagine, like, a hundred, I think a hundred people or so or more, like, 20-something-year-old, like, eating Indian food and sushi and, like, mm-hmm. having beers. And it's, like, cra- crazy but super yeah. fun environment. Cool. Um,
0: so testing the, the product yourselves.
1: Yeah, testing mm-hmm. the product yourself. Yeah. Um, And also, like, I think I never really talked about this experience uh, before, but I think thinking about how different cultures, different markets use a product differently, how they have different expectations. Mm -hmm. Before that experience, I had no idea that in the Netherlands, they don't use credit. They don't use credit cards to pay online. They use this thing called ideal. It's like bank transfers. Mm. Uh, just like it, it helped, it helped me, I think, in hindsight, reconsider. Like the norms, like that you know, we yeah. here we like use.
0: Yeah, a lot of times you just assume that the rest of the world works exactly the same like way, you but no. do, but it's very different. Yeah, or so you were doing research with these different markets.
1: A little bit, so mm-hmm. I would work really closely with the teams on the ground because the the main office in London would hire like a general manager in each of those countries mm-hmm. with a small team, operational team. Then right. I was really the link between the main office, the head office, and the the market. So like I would do not as much research as I would I would have wanted to because it was such a short time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would go in, uh, spend a couple of weeks or so with the team, um, cool. you know, just be like, tell me everything. How do people pay here? What matters? Like, how do mm-hmm. the drivers operate? Like, let's see what we need to, to localize to, to first. You know? right.
0: mm-hmm. Cool. And what were some mistakes that you made in your early days in product management?
1: I think there are many, but let me try and think because <laughs> it was a while back. <laughs> I think maybe over engineering, the first mistake, I think it's probably a common one in every job at the beginning, you know, of your career is like thinking you have to really be over prepared, like over like, this is the plan. This is the research behind the plan. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of delay action and learning sometimes. So I think, you know, yeah, over engineering, doing like trying to think that I have to do more research, more, 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 more versus Mm -hmm. like doing shorter experiments. Um, Involving my team like I, I felt like I had to be the expert and have all the answers Whereas, it? You know, I think as a PM you first and foremost have to be this um,
0: Link that this you link yeah, link and this, this connector between mm-hmm. different
1: parts of the business um, And it's okay not to have all the answers as well like it's okay in a meeting if somebody asks, you know Hey, like how should we go about doing this? You say well, I don't know, but let me figure that out Let me just come back mm-hmm. to you in a couple of days or Let's let's have an experiment with the team and, and see what comes out of it right there were probably other mistakes, but like, let me know, I can, I can develop more, I can find more, because yeah. Uh, yeah, I was
0: like... <laughs> no, that, let, that's cool. Let, let's jump to the parts of the conversation that I'm personally most interested in, mm-hmm. which is the creation of Jam. Mm-hmm. For the ones that never heard of it, what was Jam all about?
1: Yeah, Jam was a, a community for people interested in, in how great products are built, Uh, similar to product size i mean it's funny because i think Mm -hmm. we started at the same time without knowing about each other at first um Mm -hmm. it was based in london so it started as a conference it was a side project like let's hear how the products that we all love how they build behind the scenes let's get like people from netflix from deliveroo from strava at the time from like all Mm -hmm. the products that we love uh spotify and let's let's hear how PMs, designers engineers how they all work together to to solve uh, problems, and, and and then this this small conference turned into an annual conference, and it kind of made babies, and it was a retreat mm-hmm. also for heads of product, and and it became basically a business that never, I had never expected, I had never mm. planned to create a business. So it, it went from side project to business, so it was yeah. a community and a series of events. And how
0: did you get to start it in the first place? You yeah. had a co-founder, right? Yeah, so, I, yeah, so we were,
1: so he was head of design at and I was PM there, and I don't know, it was like one day after work, we were just like working on this big project, this big redesign of our analytics dashboard, and uh, I think I remember saying like, "How amazing would it be to see like how transfer wise does it?" Like, you know, at the time it was transfer wise mm-hmm. was not wise. It was, it was starting in London as well, and um, yeah, I think we were just like chatting and a little bit like, you know, I think Jam really originated from asking myself a bit too much at the time, like, "Am I doing the right thing here?" Like, "Oh my god, mm-hmm. like is this the right thing," because you know, you're always like earlier yeah. on in your career so like obsessed with like For sure. doing things right. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I talked to Seb about it. Seb was an amazing designer, like the best designer that I, I mean, that I knew, but still to this day, like super talented guy. Mm-hmm. And so we put together a website, like a landing page. And, and, um I started like connecting with the whole world on LinkedIn to find some speakers mm-hmm. to kickstart this whole thing. And then it was on, like it, it just took us a couple of months to organize a conference. And, and then, of course, it became a bigger and bigger thing up to the point it became a business. But at the time it was just like, scratching our own itch. Like, let's, yeah. let's see how other people do do that thing that we're doing now, right. that we have it issues with. Your,
0: <laughs> your real need to, to understand and learn more. That yeah, drive you. 100%. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, can relate 100%. <laughs> I'm sure you can. <laughs> um, and the process of turning it into a business. Like, when was the maybe aha moment that you're like, okay, maybe this is not just a side gig. Maybe this can be a business. How was that?
1: Mm-hmm. I think the realization came when I realized that the revenue I was making from the conference a couple of years after starting, maybe three years, I think 2017, was matching my salary, my full-time salary as a PM. And I was like, mm-hmm. why am I working full-time if I can make the same amount? So, you know, not huge, but still like for, because we, we were working a lot and it was just the two of us. So that mm-hmm. was also why we were able to. To financially, to like sustain. Just this. to
0: get a perspective, like those first events, what were the the size of the events?
1: Yeah, so we went from a couple of a couple of hundred to five hundred to six hundred people. Ticket price, like five. Uh, actually, at the beginning, it was two to three hundred pounds for the day then five hundred we were increasing our prices every year because our mm-hmm. brand became stronger every year yeah, and yeah. people would fly it was oversubscribed with no marketing people would just like buy tickets and we would just like be oversubscribed because we were creating an experience as well it was not just a conference it was like street food and music and like it was just right. like fun conference you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that was the moment and also just realizing like wait like building this community can also be a job like i don't have to, to be a pm like and a lot of, I'm, I'm going in all directions here, but I don't know if that's interesting <laughs> to your audience. Yeah. But at the time, just thinking, oh, my God, like if I do that, then I mean, I'm shooting myself in the foot. I'm no longer a PM. Like, but then I, I thought, actually, just, this is working. Like, I'm enjoying yeah. doing this. I'm learning a lot. I'm building connections. I'm learning from amazing product leaders. Um, let me do that for a little while and see what happens. Right. And I did that for six years, five or six years after that.
0: Mm. <laughs> cool. And what were the main challenges that you faced in that journey?
1: Mm. I feel like I'm going to be meta again I'm sorry but um, I think well the first one that I mentioned just first of all like being comfortable with the fact that being a conference organizer community builder was my job and that uh, it was not a a sub job it was not like not as legitimate it was as legitimate as another job and I think I had Mm -hmm. it took me a while to just like because at the time you know the creative movement and like solopreneurs and whatever it was starting a bit but it Mm -hmm. was not as widespread as now and so I felt, oh wow, like I had maybe this. Maybe
0: I'm breaking too much, too many rules. Exactly,
1: exactly. I like the thread that you're <laughs> carrying on in this conversation. Um, yeah, feeling like I had maybe made a, a bit of a mistake or that I was, um, so that was just the first challenge. And then mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, like in terms of how the conference and the community grew, it, it was pretty organic. And I, you know, like build a team of volunteers and just, um, I think maybe finding great stories every year, like after like the third or fourth time, it's kind of like, we didn't want to have the professional speakers that you hear on all the professional speaking tracks. So it was really just like a work of like having an application, but also going and digging and finding the people who never think about doing talks otherwise to really tell you the candid stories of like, that you won't hear otherwise online. Mm -hmm. So that was a challenge, but something that was really exciting.
0: How did you start getting to the big names? Like, how were you able to get people from, like, the biggest companies?
1: Yeah. I think definitely using LinkedIn a lot. I think to this day, people, like, see I'm connected with the whole, like, world of product management. They're like, oh, how do you know this person, that person? I'm like, I just i just connected with them on LinkedIn. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I think you just as long as long as you get first good good speakers or good names, then you can use those names in your later conversation. So, yeah. hey, Gibson Biddle from Netflix spoke last year. Or, hey, like, this person from Strava, like, uh, mm-hmm. or... Yeah. You know, Monzo at the time was just starting in the UK, like a Big Challenger Bank, like the head of design just unveiled how they, they designed their app from the ground up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh would you like to tell a story as well? And and Yeah.
0: So and people were like a bit of fear of missing out that oh these big people were are talking there a if little I'm bit. not going, I'm missing out. Yeah, on and I think
1: also like selling the experience, like it's gonna be fun, like yeah. um, you know, we, it's
0: gonna be a weekend that you yeah. enjoy.
1: Right. yeah yeah I think i'm I'm sure you do the same the same sort of stuff <laughs> to this day. Yeah. I would want yeah. to learn from you as well what's what's different what's similar
0: cool cool. Um, and what opportunities did did that open for you? so connecting with these many people from like either big companies or startups that then became big um, what kind of opportunities did it open? Mm-hmm. And were you also like wanting to go back into product management at some point?
1: I think after a little while, I was definitely like itching to do something else because I was like, it was not taking all of my time. And I was, Mm -hmm. I had reached my level, the level of like, this everything I wanted to learn, I've learned. But in terms of opportunities, I think it's not so much opportunities because the business itself and being able to, actually, it's a a big one, being able to travel the world, work remotely. Like that was Mm -hmm. the first thing. I moved out of London. I was able to just like, you know, go train in Thailand a couple of months a year and live in Barcelona. like So that was definitely... Oh. the direct uh, impact of building Jam and building this remote mm-hmm. events community business. But I think otherwise, the first thing that comes to mind is um, the relationships that I built and the friendships that emerge out of like this, this attendee from the first year, then comes back the second year, you become friends and they help you, they're a volunteer. Then uh, to this day, like some of my best friends I met at Jam.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Actually, I'm curious, you never thought of doing so, uh, an edition of Jam in Asia? Since you're going there for training and so on? You're not connected to the tech scene there? No,
1: not at all. I okay. was just going there for pure pleasure and training. Cool. Um,
0: disconnecting.
1: Yeah, I mean the the year of the, the when the pandemic happened, twenty twenty, we were actually just gonna expand like do other countries in Europe and we had done one in Barcelona in twenty nineteen which went mm-hmm. really well, but not Asia, just more more Europe.
0: Cool. And when did you decide it was time to, to close that chapter? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first and foremost, I think naturally after five or six years, you want to do something different. It's, it's, it's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, careers are cyclical, right? I think also just realizing that I was missing kind of being part of a, of a buzzing startup, like working on a product that impacts, you know, so many people. And, um, so yeah, I think, you know, I was just, yeah, it was re- I was ready for something else. So it, yeah. it, it was almost like a natural decision point for me where it was like, well, also COVID had, was just happening. Yeah. I was really enjoying creating real-life experiences. That was like the main, main angle of Jam. Although we did a mini, mini pivot to an online membership,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I, I just didn't see myself like doing it for another five years. So I was like, yeah. you know what, time for time a change. Time to move,
0: mm-hmm. right. And do you still consider doing a comeback with a Jam event?
1: Not with Jam specifically, but I think I always have this each, this need to gather people, which I do in my day-to-day job today at Circle. Mm-hmm. Um, but building communities is always, I think it's something I'll always do and in, a, in one shape or form. So not, not coming back with Jam, mm-hmm. but definitely like, you know, if I find yeah, an opportunity. Community
0: building is something that's yeah. very close to your heart. Right? Mm-hmm. And what is your definition of community? Mm-hmm.
1: So a community, I think, is a, is a group of people. That come together, and that care about one another, that care about one another's well-being and success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think this is just—it's not just a group of people, right? It's you—you it's, you get together to really. Because uh, you have something in common and like you want to help one another. Common
0: interest or common passion.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is how a community differs from an audience. An audience, like it's kind of one person talking to many people. A mm-hmm. community is many people talking to many different other people. Um, and I think there is in a definition definition of community. There is this idea also of like you keep coming back because you really care. Like it's not just like you have just a loose interest. It's like you care mm-hmm. about something. About like achieving something together, and you know, like you are gonna be stronger, or have, um, or you're gonna be stronger or smarter or whatever. Like if you are if you're with a group, and if you mm-hmm. feel a sense of belonging to that group.
0: Right. Actually, one, one thing that's very interesting I've discussed this a, li- a little bit. So for Product Weekend, I'm organizing it just for 25 people. So I want to keep it small on, by design, so that the the connections are more intimate. How do you see that balance between like making it big so that you can meet many different people and keeping it small enough so that the connections are still meaningful Mm -hmm. and intimate? It's
1: a great question. I think you don't have to choose. I think you can always have three levels of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, this person that I love online, Tatiana Figuardero, um, she's a circle expert, community builder. She talks about the three level of levels of connection that you need in any community online or offline. You have the, the one-on-one connections, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, just going for coffee with someone and, yeah. you know, uh, you have the small group connection. So like, okay, we're going to as we're part of this big group, this big community, but we, we want to be able to like connect with, with folks who are, I don't know, who are at a similar stage or who... You know, and, and, and to have this kind of like small group connection, you need opportunities, Mm -hmm. you need like events, you need, um, groups, accountability groups or whatnot that, that, that favor meeting the right people within the bigger group. And then you need also just like the excitement of being part of this larger group. So Mm -hmm. I think in any event or in any community that you build, you have to think about those three levels and how do you facilitate those three levels, three levels through your rituals, your events, your, Mm -hmm. uh, in the conference is the same, right? Like at Jam, like, I mean, we were doing a little bit of that, but, You know, like uh, you 600 people or so on, but you have um, some events that favor small group connections like workshops. Um, Mm -hmm. You have, you know, like you have have the the speaker dinner or dinners that are happening, you know, around the conference time where you can really just build connections with others. Um,
0: Cool. That's a super interesting concept. I I haven't heard of it before. Mm -hmm. Check it out online. She explains Mm -hmm. much better than me. (laughs) Cool, cool. Can you, you're already getting a little bit into that. Can you speak a little about the history of online communities? So from your experience that you're saying that you're already getting into online forums while you were were a kid, but also from what I'm guessing that you've learned and researched with your work, Mm -hmm. gem and circle now.
1: Yeah, I think, well. How
0: has it evolved over the years?
1: Good question. Online communities, I think, have always been there. Um, since the beginning of the internet we've well that was the main reason why you know mm-hmm. the internet's kind of like started it's like how do we connect so, you know how do we message each other like information and so on um, I think in in the past like so yeah communities have always existed it's a matter of like the shape and form that they've taken over the years and you know we went from a world where kind of like forums where like the main kind of thing and there's still Mm -hmm. forums out there like Reddit and so on. But at the time, like, you know, niche forums like were a big thing um, to, you know, I guess entrepreneurs, creators building their own private, I don't know, first like public communities like, you know, folks Mm -hmm. like Hindi hackers, I mean, whatever space that you look at, you have those folks who have started building um, more like communities out there in the open communities to support uh, a niche, an interest or a product. And, um, and now we see, I think, more and more private communities, like, you know, instead of just being out there in the open, like, or gathering on Facebook groups or, like,
0: mm-hmm. on
1: Slack or whatnot, like communities that are being, being built super intentionally to be a private, safe space for people to, to gather, to connect, to learn from one another, learn from experts, um, maybe paid communities as well. And I think that's been a big shift towards that, um, basically mm-hmm. that trend of building
0: So that in a way it ensures more quality.
1: More quality and more, yeah, just like psychological safety as well, more maybe engagement because if you know that you've paid to be a part of this, there's like the really good rules of engagement, rituals, content, moments for connections like you are likely to just spend more time in there and make the most of it versus if mm-hmm. you just like join because it's another like slack group and and then you're just gonna like post a job or listing or an opportunity every now and then and that's right. it you know like in a
0: very self-serving way mm-hmm. so the investment part like how much you put into it it's also correlated with how much you get out of it
1: yeah and if i can just add i think and also it's because of what i've seen because of my my role these days but there's so many like course communities like um, creators online educators teachers instructors who instead of wanting to teach the old way like one to many i'm going to create like an online course that it's like a bunch of video lessons mm-hmm. actually let me just gather my community let me gather like my most committed learners in one group and let's see what happens like let's see if we can instead of having this like one-to-many approach like really just like Constructive discussions, like let's let's organize an event to really discuss a topic. Let's have let's continue the discussions after the lesson mm-hmm. in a in a private space, and in a in a circle community or whatnot. And that is super exciting because like you see there's those bubbles, those those little groups of like learning and knowledge sharing that are happening that where people feel like they're learning, but they also, they they belong to a group that we didn't really see in the past or maybe a little bit like Mm -hmm. in the old days of forums and so on. But like we're going back, it's again going back full circle to like the beginning of the internet, I feel like, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the the early days, because I wasn't there at the beginning of the internet. I'm not (laughs) that (laughs) Yeah.
0: Going back full circle, (laughs) talking about circle. Circle, That's (laughs) very meta. What is, what is circle all about?
1: Yeah. So Circle is the all-in-one community platform for creators. So if you imagine what was a forum in the early days, it's basically a a better platform to host all your discussions, all of your events, all of your content. So if you're a creator or even a brand, Mm -hmm. uh, and you want to, you don't, you're tired of having different tools, like a tool for your discussions, tool for your events or your Slack channel where, uh, you can have all of those things in one place and really Mm -hmm. just like serve your members better. Um, and the company started just a couple of years ago. I was one of the first hires. Uh, now we are a hundred people. We're serv- serving like thousands and thousands of creators, and, and you know millions of members down the line. Um, and it's yeah, it's a super exciting company in space because it, it helps also creators monetize their community. So just really make mm-hmm. money, live off their their passion of of bringing people together.
0: Cool. What is so inspiring about the the vision of Circle for you? Hmm.
1: I think it's what I've just mentioned it's it's um allowing creators allowing people to to just make a living of something meaningful um mm-hmm. and I think that thing so that is meaningful they
0: don't need to be doing a job that they don't like that, in order to support. that or just
1: chasing like uh, vanity metrics on social media like we have a lot of our, our top community builders they they might have like created an, an audience they might have like a big audience on youtube or instagram like there's this awesome like gardening community like this couple in the u.s that they have like mm-hmm. i think i don't know like uh, half a million followers on, on instagram <laughs> and but they had grown tired of like they share awesome, like, inspiring content, like, how to garden, seasonal living, like, they have, like, beautiful, like, content and resources. But then, like, on Instagram, like, they're a bit of a a slave to the system and the algorithm, right? It's just, like, always having to build the best content, find the best partners, being in DMs, answering people, and not really just, like... Reaping the benefits of of their their hard work mm-hmm. versus on Circle, they have this private membership community where people pay. I, I don't know. I think it's maybe two hundred dollars or so for the, the season because they work in seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have amazing like premium content perks. They have office hours where like Megan, the founder, joins from her garden and shows you how to plant like carrots <laughs> or whatever. Like it's so cool. And and so it's and
0: like taking the the ass. Like you don't need to worry about these. Making it look cool and so on. You just need to create good content for the people that yeah. love your content and it you creates can focus an, on that.
1: And it creates an entire, yeah, it, it creates uh, real opportunities for people who are good at what they do, great at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but who are just li- who are liking the tools before to really reap the benefits of, of their hard work of, of educating, bringing people together, creating communities. Um, and I think the other part of why I'm so excited about Circle. Is on the other side, I talked about the creator, the people building communities, but the person who is part of a community. Like, mm-hmm. I was part of so many circle communities, a couple of circle communities before joining the company because I was like, I mean, this is so cool. Like, suddenly you're not alone, just like scrolling social media, you are with like, like many people online. Um, so creating those, those, almost like those safe heavens of like connection and belonging in a world that's increasingly disconnected and, and lonely. Um,
0: cool. So allowing for, for both sides for people to connect and also for content creators to be able to produce the greatest content without having to worry about vanity metrics Mm -hmm. and stuff cool and do you see yourself staying at circle for a long time
1: yes (laughs) Uh, yes because like the, the trajectory of the company of the startup is incredible it's like like a rocket ship and this is I've never known this. Even like in past startups, like it was very early stage or Deliveroo was like more mature. But this is really like the moment where we're growing. We are quite successful given the stage we're at, and and so I get to build a team, like, the community team at Circle. I'm the head of community there, um, and that is that's super exciting. That's like something I haven't done before, and that I'm really excited in doing and learning in the next you know years and however however long. Mm-hmm. But uh,
0: yeah. Super cool, and the the founder is also a super passionate and like strong entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. What lessons have you have you learned with him?
1: Yeah, so Sid Yadav is a CEO and co-founder. Um, so there are three co-founders at Circle, and they all met at this company called Teachable, like um, mm-hmm. a, a course a course platform that was acquired a couple of years ago. And they're all amazing leaders, but I think day to day I'm just learning a lot from all of them and what I'm learning from Sid is so he's he's like this awesome uh he used to be a product manager engineer individual contributor who then became the VP product at Teachable and now he's a CEO and I think what I what I admire a lot in, in in his profile and his his experience is just like just using all of those different skills to mm-hmm. to lead a team and empowering others to make their own decisions i think like i've never worked in a company where leadership or everyone like just trusts everyone else so much mm-hmm. which which uh, is possible because we make the right hiring decisions and like <laughs> everybody's amazing but just like the level of trust like since i joined you know like you're everybody is really approachable and and and, and is here to help and trust that you will make the right decisions and, and is here to support you. Um, and, yeah, just also, like, again, going back to this idea of not having all the answers and, like, I feel like this is something I'm learning from all of the co-founders at Circle, but everyone else in the company is just, like, relying on the team, like, you know, because mm-hmm. you're stronger as a team. Like, this is the reason why we build yeah. teams is because... We, are, we can reach better outcomes as a team versus being on your own. And this is what I had missed, actually. I hadn't realized, but doing Jam for so many years is being like almost solo. I mean, I had a co-founder, but I was doing most of my, my work alone. Mm-hmm. And here, suddenly, you, you're the really best minds in, in tech and products and marketing and customer success community. Um, yeah. yeah, this is really exciting.
0: So trusting the team that I'm Trusting not, the team, yeah. yeah. Even though I'm the... CEO, the one who mm-hmm. had like the original idea, probably.
1: It's yeah, that is one thing. Actually, yes, um, the vision uh, mm-hmm. that they are, that Sid and the, the other co-founders Andy uh, and Rudy really are able to instill and just distill in the whole company, mm-hmm. um, because you know the market they've they've, they've served creators for many years, uh, but they have a strong vision and they are and they are not letting the market or what other competitors do influence that vision. Uh, They are Mm -hmm. open to, like, seeing what's happening and change. But at the same time, they have a very strong vision. We want to build the best all-in-one platform for creators. Sometimes, like, in the past, I was like, are we really going to build this event platform? Like, we're a community platform. Like, people can still use Zoom or whatever. We build a live stream feature. I mean, the team build in, like, Mm -hmm. six months, like a replacement to, to Zoom that integrates within Circle. And I'm like... If it was just me, I would have been so scared to go in there. I would be like, oh my God, this is not really the core of the product. Hmm. But no, they were like, all-in-one means all-in-one. It means like you're a creator. You you should not have to like stitch all those tools together. Cool. So I think I really admire this. uh, Yeah, this just like very uh, commitment to the vision um, of being all-in-one. And generally speaking, commitment to a vision. It's quite hard to commit to a vision for so long. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Actually, going a a little bit technical like the that vision includes that all these things will be developed in-house or are there also a mindset of integrations and Mm -hmm.
1: like great question from the start the mindset was integration because like creator has their favorite tools they should not have to like we still integrate like if you want to use like zapier to like have your workflows if Mm -hmm. you want to like you can still host events and any other tools like you just schedule your event in circle and then you host it on zoom like you just put the link in there um but now more and more as we've seen a lot of our creators a lot of our customers just like tell us like I don't want to have to pay like another subscription for like a survey mm-hmm. tool, or I don't want to have to like courses is a great example. We just released like our in-house, like kind of like, um, native course functionality. Uh, it's one of the many spaces you can build on Circle, like spaces for discussions, for courses. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before people would integrate different tools and build courses. Just, and then after realizing that so many, so many of our customers were like, yeah, just trying to like Frankenstein like a course within their community, we were like, it's time to actually build a native feature so they don't have to do all of that. Mm-hmm. So So we're still like pretty much integrated with other tools, yeah. uh, very open, but then if you, you want try. something very cohesive, mm-hmm. you, you, you have it in the product.
0: Cool. How can Circle be useful to a product person?
1: Well, if you're a product person and you want to learn from your users, your customers, um, maybe you're running a beta program or, or you just want to do some discovery, mm-hmm. um, you could create a circle community and gather all those people in one place as opposed to having them tell you what they think in a survey or, or one-on-one interviews. You can still do all those things, but instead mm-hmm. of communicating through so many different channels and having fragmented conversations, how about you have all of the people who care about your product or your business or whatever you're building in one place? So that is really the main benefits, I think, for a product mm-hmm. manager. Like if I were to, I mean, if Circle existed at the time when I was a PM, I would totally have used mm-hmm. it for that purpose.
0: Cool. And there are also a lot of communities around product there.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's communities for pretty much everything you can imagine on Circle, mm-hmm. like all the niche, all the vertical, there's like craft and knitting and productivity. And like from it spans uh, everything, product as well. Um, and, there, and there are an increasing number of brands who are like startups, like Circle, who are using a community to serve their customers, to educate yeah. them, to give them resources, to help them answer each other's questions, to like have really cool, exciting conversations about the roadmap. Um, so that's something we see because Circle can be used for, by creators, but it can also be used by brands and, and companies, right? So.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you still consider yourself a product person?
1: I think so. I think at heart, I'm still a product person. Mm. I think this is what also, uh, probably helps me in my role as a head of community is just I understand deeply like how products are built. I'm really close to the product team. I mean, the CEO is very involved in, in the product uh, leadership and management still. Um, so yeah, I think so. I'm not a product manager, but I think I, I carry this product mindset mm-hmm. in, in my, my experiences so to this day. Role,
0: it's community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what exactly is your role?
1: Yeah. So. I lead the community team at Circle. We're a small team. I uh, just hired my first two uh, two people. They're amazing, mm-hmm. Emma and Pedro. And so what we do is we create programs, we create opportunities for all Circle creators to learn from one another and learn mm-hmm. from experts. So um, that means learning how Circle works, you know, like yeah. tutorials. So mostly
0: your your community is the creators, right?
1: Yeah, our, mm. so the community that I lead, great question, yeah. is like the 10,000s of people who are using Circle to build their own community. So it's okay. very meta, but like... The Circle community is the first touch points, the first experience of a thriving community that our customers have. I mean, on Circle, most Mm -hmm. of the time. Sometimes they're part of other communities, but they become a customer, they get added to this community, and suddenly they have access to us, the Circle team, to thousands of other people who are building similar things. They can network. They can come to my office hours. So every week, like, I go live and I answer questions live, like questions about the product, questions, strategic questions, like how Mm -hmm. should I onboard my members? Should I go with a... cohort community or like an ongoing model like um so it's really like a a hub for all things circle
0: also to set the example of a good community
1: exactly Mm -hmm. so like building best practices around community engagement uh building the resources that people need to to create great communities but i think beyond that it's really just like because we don't have all the answers Mm -hmm. but our community our customers there's so many of them and they're doing so many cool things they have together mm-hmm. like different pieces yeah. pieces of the puzzle so it's connecting bit, all those folks mm-hmm. I, I
0: guess even though you're not product manager you're still doing a lot of discovery work there right you're like using this community to learn what are the things that we need right
1: oh yes every day so mm-hmm. our engineers our ceo everyone in the company uh, is always paying attention to what's ta- what's happening in the community. Um, We use it for, for customer discovery, for validation. Uh, we have our, we have private betas whenever like a big feature is about to get rolled out. We. Uh, customers love it. They go crazy sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> people try to give me bribes, like, please, like, if I get into the beta for events, I would do this and that. It's like, no, no like, a are <laughs> rating this. Um, they get in, they get to test drive the feature before anyone else, give feedback, like, directly. Like, it's in a space within our community, a private mm-hmm. space where people can share feedback with our engineers with some guidelines. Um, and so they feel so much more part of, of the, of the cool. journey of Circle because they are, they're really just helping shape the products through those betas and and those those programs.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we, we actually met face to face for the first time at a panel where we were discussing the relationship between product or product management and communities, and we are getting into this topic. So, how do you see this uh, relationship?
1: Mm-hmm. So, like I said. Um, when you ask this great question about how can a pm or product manager use community i think mm-hmm. um you can build a community to help with product discovery to so just shape how you want to build your product yeah and the other way around as well like if you have i mean if you have a product where you have already some super fans of folks who just love using your product mm-hmm. like you can also just like continue the conversation help them like create connections between between each other so they are not just tied to you, the product or the brand, but then it makes your product stickier, right? Like if you suddenly have all of your all of your customers, not just your all your customers, your users, mm-hmm. or folks who are in your orbits of you know the same your product or the niche that you're in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it will you know create more brand loyalty and product stickiness and that sort of thing.
0: Right, and you were saying that um, starting like using communities is a powerful thing for a product manager, and if you were a product manager. Back then, uh, if you add circle, you would create a community. What recommendations would you have for like a individual contributor, product manager in a company to start uh, harnessing the power of communities?
1: Mm-hmm. I think I would say think about like things you're trying to learn and who you're trying to learn those things from. So you know you might have I don't know like starting a new product and there are people that you want to interview, or talk to. They are. I don't know, maybe a group of folks who are already using a specific feature that you want to learn more from, like their use cases, mm-hmm. like exactly like the context of use, that sort of thing. And I, I would say pick pick a specific project or a specific problem area or something you're trying to learn because don't try to be like, I feel like this is a mistake I made uh, earlier in that circle. It's like, I need the best strategy. Like, you know, like, okay, like how is this community going to work? Like what are all the different pieces of the programming and so on? But if you start very specific, like, okay, like we're going to gather this group of people for this purpose in this particular space and have discussions once a week or or have like an event where mm-hmm. community can be a series of events, right? You can have like, um, I don't know, like discovery days with your users. Um, then like the community will create itself almost. Like it always starts with people, gathering people, right? The community mm-hmm. starts this way. Um, so I would say don't, again, over-engineer uh, the process of building the community. Try to solve a problem for yourself and your team. Uh, through gathering specific groups of people or a group of people to start with Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be hundreds of people it could be 10 people
0: yeah yeah and i guess also the community then starts acting a bit as a living being that evolves by itself right
1: for sure yeah yeah i should have uh, said -hmm. that in my definition the community is like (laughs) a living organism that's a good one
0: (laughs) And how do you see communities uh, valuable to other areas of an organization? So like for sales enablement or for marketing, how can it fuel mm-hmm. uh, the company in those areas?
1: Oh yeah. Well, I think the best communities out there definitely put community at the center of all the different functions. It's not just like for product, it's for marketing, custom success and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, at circle, like some of the best success stories, the, case studies that we have, they come from folks who've shared in the community, like they've shared authentic stories of how they started the community, how they found their first founding members, how they, like, the path they took. And so having this space for authentic storytelling connections, uh, like, bottoms up, will give so much, like, more authentic and genuine content to marketing and and anyone who's creating content than if they were planning this in in a bit more of a top-down way. Mm Mm-hmm. Um then for sales like our sales team uses our community every day like to demo it but also to just like uh spot uh, the nuances of use cases that people they talk to might have um mm-hmm. you know they they're able to see oh I see so like um nonprofits or like they use you know communities this way here are examples so they, they the the hub the central point for discovery for the sales team uh is also the circle community
0: mm-hmm. so
1: i think just Community can be and so customer success as well, right? Like, how do you accelerate customer success instead of building, um, you know, like a very traditional customer success team where you have a bunch of like customer success managers one on one? You still need them, right, for specific mm-hmm. maybe like segments of your customer base. How can you leverage uh, your customers helping each other? And how can you leverage this hub that's public that I mean all of your customers have access to um, to accelerate success for, for 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 big groups of customers? Um, mm-hmm. So it does shape as well how you structure teams, and if you have a thriving community, chances are, yes, that that will impact the, the whole business. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I, I don't have all the answers. I'm still figuring things out right, right now, but this is what I observe from my from my first couple of years at Circle. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's super cool. Put, putting the for sure the community can be used for many different areas, and if it's all connected and it's well. Up, mm-hmm. It definitely can bring a lot of value. Yes, for sure. What's one lesson related to community building that you think everyone, like in all areas of life, should know?
1: What, what comes to mind here is just the importance of, of just gathering people. It might sound super cheesy, but uh, again, communities are not things that you engineer, that you plan, that you... You might have community managers, you manage an existing community, but mm-hmm. when you start one, I think just starting with gathering people, having, like, a signature event or gathering or something that people care about. Um, mm-hmm. It's not really a lesson. It's more just, like, just, yeah, a tip that applies to many things. Like I think mm-hmm. I said at the beginning, don't over-engineering your, pro- your product career or your product, like, thinking. Mm-hmm. Same here, I would say. Trust your gut. Trust your intuition. Do the things that feel natural to you. Like, if you feel really drawn to a specific, I don't know, like, um topic or like you mm-hmm. really you keep like talking about the same things with your friends or with others and like stop talking about this like just like, you have to find your people yeah. and like find you know and, tribe. And, yeah and then gather them and then um that's probably a very generic lesson here but mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure i can find something else if, if you need but i, I would say <laughs> just this like just just don't over engineer the process remember to have fun it's about gathering mm-hmm. people it's I mean of course if you're building a business or if you're part of a, of, a, of a business and you're using community for strategic reasons it might be different but actually mm-hmm. not so much like it's it's you yeah. still start with like experimenting rituals events and then you see what sticks and then you adapt
0: yeah super cool all right let's get to to our final questions we' are already almost one hour through
1: I went so quickly
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, if you if you could have coffee with any historical figure, dead or alive, who would you choose, and what would you ask them?
1: I don't know why I think about her, but I love Frida Kahlo, the Mexican artist, um, mm-hmm. who died in a terrible like tram accident. Um, I I don't know, like I went to her house in, in close to Mexico City, like this beautiful museum, and I don't know, like I. I could have picked, like, a politician or, like, another historical mm-hmm. f- historical figure, but I would just really have would want to, wanted to just understand how Mexico was like at the time, what it was like to be, you know, an artist, like, di- with Diego Rivera and, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like just discovering a very different uh, culture and moment in time would be super interesting to me. Um, cool. I would want to have a banquet, like, a, a, a little party, right? Not just her, like, uh, <laughs> other people <laughs> yeah, as well.
0: Gather a, get a- a community. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say I would cool. say that, and I'm sure we'd have fun and eat lots of nice uh, <laughs> Mexican food as well, and it'd be a good time. So I'll pick her. <laughs> there That's we go. cool.
0: That's cool. How do you balance life and work? Do you consider that you have a healthy balance? Sometimes getting out of hand. How do you mm. do that?
1: Yeah. So I think I, I'm getting better. Uh, when I started at Circle. And I think generally speaking, just working from home, working remotely for so many years, I definitely don't have a lot of boundaries. And I also, because I'm passionate about what I do, I tend to like, work never stops. Communities never sleep as well. And when Mm -hmm. you have a team in the US or distributed, like there's always, there are always people online. So you have to be careful about like not being always on a poor lack of boundaries. So yes, like at a time where I guess, I think I'm getting better at this by trying to have more boundaries these days. So as in mm-hmm. trying to really enforce like the end of my workday, like not study as a specific hour, but more like ritualize the end of the work day. Like when I close mm-hmm. my laptop and re- like put up my stuff away, like this means like pick it it's, it's no more, like mm-hmm. it's not work mode anymore. Or maybe just change environment, go to the gym, go for a walk. That has really helped me because I think like many people like working remotely, I've had this challenge of just yeah, like not knowing when to stop. There's always more to do, mm-hmm. more things to do. You work from home, so your laptop is always there. Um so I think I get I'm getting better at work life balance also because yeah. now I've built a team. So it's kind of like so nice when you go to bed and you're like somebody else is thinking about this problem in much better <laughs> ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how good does it feel? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So having people that you trust, it also. Oh yes, that, I mean,
1: ma- that's just, that just changes life. Like becoming a manager mm-hmm. and just like getting the, the the opportunity to build a team, changes your life, uh, mm-hmm. for sure, for the best. Um,
0: cool. What is your favorite app or digital product?
1: Mm. I think everybody would say Notion because it's such a tool that we <laughs> use every day. I'm just going to try and find something different. Um, well, actually, it's it's an app that uh, a friend of mine built. Kevin is a indie hacker, like, solo app maker. It's called Super Habits. Super uh, habits. It's very simple. It's, it's a, like it's, habit tracker. It's a habit tracker, but, like, mm. it's actually a, an, an app I've used for, just, I think, the longest, like, so many years. And what's cool about it is, is it gives you... know github right like when Mm -hmm. you push code you have like this like visual like calendar with little like squares of like how much code you pushed on every day of the year well that's similar like you can see like for example i track how many days i go to the gym or how many days i don't drink alcohol Mm -hmm. sometimes like (laughs) a little bit too much wine but whatever and it gives you like a representation of like a calendar year like all of the the days you have done that or not done that Mm -hmm. um it's just a simple one but i i just and shout out to Kevin. Like, you know, we met in <laughs> Barcelona and in this indie hacker community that we, cool. we were part of. So I would I would say this app.
0: <laughs> That's cool. And on the other hand, what is the innovation that you hate the most?
1: I wanna say TikTok and Reels. I actually don't have TikTok. I never installed it because I know like I would be addicted to it like <laughs> many people. Um, I think just reels, just like this algorithm of like just hooking you more and more by showing you just unexpected content and I go through phases of just deleting Instagram, like many people around me is just like, Okay, enough. Like I'm deleting it for deleting it for a few months and just regaining just like clarity and like time, right? Because Mm -hmm. you don't realize like you're on this and then it's an hour later and you've just watched too many cats Mm -hmm. and dogs and people (laughs) doing crazy dances. That's that's not what you want. (laughs) That's
0: crazy. Yeah, it's actually a crazy one. I mean, I don't feel too much affected by it personally, but That's good. Yeah, sometimes it happens that, like, yeah, one hour flew by. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no self control. So I guess this is why I need yeah. to put
1: boundaries around what I do and don't do online and on my phone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cool. So let's get to the final three questions. What are your three favorite books?
1: Fiction and nonfiction? Actually, I read yeah. mostly nonfiction, so what am I saying? Um, I would say, okay, let me just try and, and give you books that can help uh, people in their careers or whatever. Um, I read this uh, great book when I was at a moment in my life where I was wondering whether to continue Jam or not and what to do with my career. It's called The Pivot Method by Jenny Blake. Uh, she used okay. to be HR career person at Google. Uh, and she wrote this really great book with tons of like best practices and frameworks. for so thinking through your next career pivot. So, like, just like you pivot in product, you can pivot your career. So, that's the the first one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, another very like career, soft skill related book uh, The Making of a Manager by Julie Zhu, uh, who used to be VP design at Facebook. Mm-hmm. And she wrote the book that every new manager should read, like, you know, because when you're a new manager, you're making so many mistakes. And so, how do mm-hmm. you go from individual contributor to, to team lead to manager? Um, how do you lead great one-on-ones? How do you, how do you lead without micromanaging? All those, those things are, are in the book, um, mm-hmm. that I'm using more and more now that I'm a manager. Uh, and a third one. I read a lot about, um, just like the brain, how, how we learn, why we sleep. Actually, th- those are old books. How we learn, um, who wrote this, it's, uh, I think uh, Carrie Benedict Carey wrote this. It's like all about the science of of, of how, the, the optimal conditions in which we learn and how uh, it can be quite uh, surprising because you would think when you learn, you have to study in a very quiet room and be super focused, but actually just, he mm-hmm. completely debunks this. Uh, okay, he asked me three, but like th- in the same realm, <laughs> why we sleep, I don't remember the author, it's super interesting, like the science of sleep, understanding why sleep is so important in different phases like i love those sort of like scientific books like about you know uh the brain, neuroscience like. yeah, yeah kind of i love things. that um super cool so yeah i give you two career c- career ones and two uh brain ones <laughs> That's fair cool.
0: enough fair enough <laughs> and what are your three favorite cities
1: Ooh, i think i'm gonna have a hard time answering um mm-hmm. <sighs> favorite cities well, I love London, to be honest. I lived there for six years. I recently went back uh, just to see some friends and I just, I just love it. It's just such a, a buzzing city. I mean, it's not the best time right now with everything that's happening in the economy, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's just, it's always opportunities. Like you feel like anything is possible. People sometimes say that about New York. I'm not a huge fan of the US. I would not live there mm-hmm. for many reasons. Uh, but London to me is a great mix of like, you know, uh, yeah, you have opportunities, things cool. are there, but um multiculturalism as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I don't think I can say Lisbon because I'm here now, but <laughs> I love Lisbon. It's just so great to be here. I've been here three years now, and it's just, like, for this stage of my life, it's just perfect. Like, people are amazing. Cool. Like, it's the weather, like, culture is, is great. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, Rome. Rome is beautiful. Really? Um, I, I was hesitating between Bangkok. 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 is crazy. Like I love Bangkok, but like mm-hmm. it's just a, a little bit much. I love it though. Like mm-hmm. you know, I'm learning Thai and I do more Thai, and so for me, it's just like this like second home almost. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not everyone's taste. But like Rome is just yeah, just such, such a beautiful place to be, and uh, cool, cool. I have good memories there.
0: Mm-hmm. And finally, do you listen to podcasts?
1: A little bit, not too much, actually. <laughs> do you
0: have three favorite ones?
1: I'm gonna struggle to find three. I do listen, like from time to time, like things that I find, like I just like listen to this. Actually, it's a French podcast. It's not gonna be relevant, but uh, about the uh, Radio Nova. It's like this famous uh, uh radio in France, and all about the history of grime. It's like the this genre of music. Mm -hmm. Uh, like rap, like based in London, it's not really rap, but it's not going to be helpful for your audience who don't Mm -hmm. speak French.
0: I mean, but there are probably some French... That's
1: true. So (laughs) Radio Nova, Les Contes du Grime, super intéressant. (laughs) Um, I like talks. I mean, it's not really a podcast. More like the talks at Google, you know, like this is how I find out most of my books, like like, things I read about neuroscience business and so on. I really love them. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, and a podcast I recently was invited to, in the community space, uh, the Community Experience Podcast, led by Gillian Benbow from SPI Pro. It's really awesome and a great mm-hmm. way to learn about community building.
0: Cool. Super cool. Um, last but not least, how <laughs> can people find you online?
1: Yes. I spend most of my time, maybe too much, on Twitter. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm at Mathilde underscore Leo. There's an mm-hmm. H after the T. I mean, you'll see Mathilde underscore Leo <laughs> at Twitter. Um, otherwise, LinkedIn, I'm not so much there. If you connect with me on LinkedIn, I might just take three months to answer. So don't do that. So Twitter. And then, yeah, spend a lot of time uh, in the circle community. So if you ever build a circle community or if you uh, are interested in that space, you'll find me in the circle community, just helping you build a great community.
0: <laughs> cool. Mathilde, thank you so much for your time. It was amazing having this chat.
1: Thank you. It was awesome. Thanks for inviting me. Had a good time.